I'm just here with Zoe. Hi, Zoe. Hi, <laughs> Thanks for having me in your home Thanks in so Newtown. So we were just going to chat about your, you know, career, I guess, as a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> And how you found that. So um, when did you first, you know, decide you wanted to do nursing? Um, I first decided when I was, I think I was 19. Oh, cool. 20, like nice. my second second year out of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done a year at uni doing like a Bachelor of Arts and mm-hmm. didn't like that. Had a like quite intense um, experience with some of my friends, um, like mental health wise. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my friends was in quite a bad place and yeah. had had attempted suicide and that sort of I don't know it was a bit of a catalyst for yeah. for like there was three of us who were quite close friends and mm. so all three of us dropped out of uni after oh our first year my gosh. and then um I moved out of home yeah. my second year out of school and I was just working yeah. and I um did those you know like stupid decision making where you take jobs that I just I look back <laughs> at my like you know younger self and I'm like why didn't no one tell me I didn't have to do this shit as jobs yeah yeah anyway I took a job that didn't pay me enough money mm. and I was like you know paying rent for the first time and um so that was like a really difficult year mm, of yeah. trying to work but not actually having enough money oh, should have just worked at McDonald's or something um yeah and so I think it was through that process that I was like kind of drawn to the stability of nursing mm. so yeah I just applied for that cool that year and um yeah so it was weird I sort of applied for nursing in the midst of probably my first big mental health crisis oh wow yeah <laughs> which is like a strange thing looking back yeah you know? yeah it's so interesting when sometimes like you make these big life decisions and you look back at it and you're like whoa that was a weird you know what motivated you at the time mm. and what came out of it is so like different yeah 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 when I've talked to people who do like mental health support work and stuff, often they have like a similar story to that mm. because you, I guess because our health system often doesn't provide, you know, that support that people need when they're in crisis. It often does yeah. fall to like, you know, family and friends. Mm. And so often that's how, you know, you get exposed to, you realize that there's a need there, you know, and then yeah. you kind of like want to gain the skills to do that professionally. My journey with nursing almost like, perfectly tracked my my mental health journey like Mm, mm. so most of the time that I was studying and working were just were real massive transformation years you know and Mm. always felt really um there was always this desperation I think behind a lot of the decisions I was making yeah so yeah like first job I got was in-home nursing um for an elderly woman yeah so that was a woman with um Dementia, she was also very depressed, which mm. was not picked up on in the right way. Mm. Um, and that was a really difficult job. So that was like shift work, including night shift and sleepovers. Oh, okay, yeah. Which was really challenging. Um, so I did that for about three months. And then I started working um, in mental health, so like community mental health. Cool, yeah. Um, but sort of weirdly not in mental health, just kind of like... I think, like I explained to you before, like <laughs> sort of supporting people with physical health, but the people that we worked with were um, were people who had long term mental health diagnoses, so they had to already mm. sort of be within services. Mm. Um, mm. And I was really drawn to that job because I liked the idea of being able to meld physical and mental health, and yeah, the fact yeah. that the co-papa was holistic. Yeah. But I just found in reality it wasn't very mm. easy to kind of practice that. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think stopped? the co-papa from coming through in the actual work you were doing? Was it like lack of staffing or? 
I think like, it, yeah, I think it was just lack of everything. I think yeah. it was just um, not enough support. Like as a new, pretty much a new grad, I didn't have enough support mm-hmm. to be doing the work I was doing. It was mm-hmm. very, very independent. The team was brand new. Um, oh, okay. No one really had experience in mental health. Um, there, yeah, there just wasn't enough. Like there was mm-hmm. this constant like trying to, I think with a lot of mental health services and potentially DHB services, like as a whole mm. in Wellington because there's so much funding issues. Mm. Um, I think there's just this always like this sense of like scrabbling for, for things that aren't yeah. there, like <laughs> not enough resources. Mm. And I think I found that really draining and I felt like I could never meet the needs of the people I was working with. Yeah, it's such a horrible feeling Yeah, when you just, when you see the need there but you just don't have time or don't have the energy or yeah. well, I think yeah. I didn't have the experience like I was mm. I was desperate for a mentor I was like yeah. please can, can someone role model this work for me and like mm. I'd worked while I was studying I'd worked with idea services which was oh, yeah. working with kids um, who oh, had cool. who had learning difficulties or like the kids I worked with mainly were on the autism spectrum yeah and um that's where I encountered like the most amazing role models mm. like people who'd been caregiving for quite a long time often but were just like incredibly beautiful patient generous mm. loving people and I just remember being like oh my god like <laughs> you're the people yeah. who should be teaching like mm. you know you, people those skills aren't recognized yeah and therefore oh they're god. not taught they're not passed on you know I so like I literally am just like yes 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 because that's so what like I've never been trained in nursing. Like, the training that exists at the moment for caregivers is such a joke. Like, it's like copying answers out of a book. Mm. And it's like, it's just ridiculous. But then also, on the other side of that, yeah, like, when I used to work in a rest home in the dementia unit, um, yeah, some of the people there were just so good at their jobs. And just, like, being around them, it's the same, yeah, just, like, watching them work and working with them is, like, taught me so much about caregiving and supporting people Mm. yeah how do we acknowledge those skills and learn like figure out ways to pass them on you know that's not just like luck of the draw yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) because it's kind of like you know some people who've been in care caregiving for a long time are awesome and have an amazing skill set and others are so jaded and over it and and we're, teach you incredibly bad practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Or, like, we're there from the days of, like, you know, old-style asylums kind of uh, thing. Yeah, yes. And are, like, still in that mindset or, like, nah, I totally agree. So do you think that – what? how do you think that your, like, actual degree – so when you were actually doing your degree, do you think – that you were well prepared for that job or like how could they have prepared you not at all you know? and I, like it's funny I've heard this also a lot in relation to teaching that mm. like once both teaching and nursing moved into university level qualifications mm. as opposed to polytech or apprentice mm. they are, they've become so cerebral like so mm. theory based yeah. um, and although we have a lot of practicum we have very little actual um, applied skill learning all the mental health classes we had were amazing. I loved them. I loved our tutor. She was mm. like, her, she'd done her PhD on like citizenship wow. and how, and the rights of people, the rights of people in care, particularly oh, cool. dementia. And so oh, that's awesome. I was massively influenced by her, but yeah. it was more in terms of her philosophy. Um, we actually, we had so little time where we actually got to spend with her learning mm how to actually work with people and I think as incredibly young people and also because mental health is such a small component of 
the nursing training in mm. New Zealand. Yeah. Like, we don't specialise like they do in the US or England or whatever. Okay. Um, so you're only, you're doing it for, like, 10% of your course, and the rest mm. is physical health. So you go into placements, so you go into jobs, and you're so unprepared, and you're yeah. so scared. Generally, you're quite young. Most mm. of the people are quite young. Um, and it's that thing of just not, Unless you're one of those people who's really is really emotionally mature, yeah, I think it's so hard to learn those skills. Totally, um, and they're not formally taught. Is all yeah. I sort of noticed. That's so little overall. I mean, it sounds. I remember seeing an article about um, GPs in a similar kind of yes. light, in that they're like, <laughs> how many like over half of you know, the people they see, like, you know, the cases they see have some kind of mental health component, yes. and yet what proportion, I can't remember what the proportion was, so it's kind of similar, it's like, oh, but you're not prepared for that, and then when you don't, ed- I think also when you don't educate people is when you start to see, like, the prejudice, you yeah. know, the underlying prejudice that we all have that has to be unlearned, you know, you kind yes. of see that coming out, like, I remember when my partner Molly was working at NASH in mental health, and people were saying, oh, you know, just the things that the staff would say, the because the um, registered nurse or like care person overseeing the care there had. But I remember how she was talking about the people was like, oh, you know, he talks to himself, but he's fine, really. I was kind of like, so the assumption is that because someone talks to themselves, talks to themselves they're, not fine. they're not okay. Yeah. And it's kind of like you obviously haven't. It's a bit scary that that person has so much power over those people's lives because that was in supported living. So it's like every aspect of their life is controlled by someone who thinks that basically has hasn't had the education to unlearn that thing of like these people are crazy these people are nuts like yeah. that's sort of the underlying not that they, they would use those okay. words but mm. that's like the you know in a coded way oh, that's yeah. still so did you find that I guess you're saying you were quite isolated but how did you see the people around you coping with the stress that you were under like did you see you know was there any kind of did you ever talk about it with your co-workers or was it just no kind of definitely talked about it I think it was just like new for everyone and the roles were really undefined I think it was a bit like it was particular to that service being Mm. very new I found like when I did placements in community mental health services um like there was that sense of being really jaded like people Mm. had created had to create really tough skins Mm. to work there which might be something you've seen as well um and they were fun like really fun teams like Mm. cool interesting people Mm. but just like it's almost like they you know you could see they had to sacrifice parts of themselves to work within the system Mm. because there was so much you just had to not see like there was Mm. constant violation of human rights like that's the thing that always got me about mental health Mm. was like it's one of the only times when your rights are taken away from you unless unless you're in a criminal, you've been criminally convicted. Yeah. We're kind of talking about the Mental Health Act where people mm. can be put in... Sectioned. Um, yeah, like in a facility without their consent mm. and can be treated without their consent. Mm. So what did you see about, like, how that process happens? Like, how because I don't really know much. I mean, I've heard people talk about it, like basically other people who are in services being like don't go in under the act like if they tell you they're gonna if they because it's often used to threaten people so mm. it's kind of like if they say we think you should go he- into hospital mm. you have to go because otherwise they're just don't gonna put you put in, you in under the, the act, act and yeah. it's not gonna be nice yeah yeah so but i don't know much about the actual formal like process how it happens it's super legal like it's mm. <laughs> super legal it's very yeah i mean i don't think it's done lightly mm. and by any means and there's a lot of 
like the cool thing about working where I was pretty much I was a medical like I was working as a nurse and but it was a mainly non-medical service so it was okay. mainly like peer support navigators cool. yeah yeah um so the philosophy was very different to like working in a clinical service oh right um, yeah I see which is where I've done many of my placements so it's, it's mm-hmm. a funny like it's a funny difference but it's mm-hmm. one of those stupid bureaucratic things but it yeah. did make a big difference to the approach yeah so the the philosophy of where I was working was very very much we do not make anyone do anything they don't want yeah, we are cool. not going to be we didn't administer the act we did nothing yeah like that but we worked with the teams who did yeah um so yeah that was quite weird and we ha- we were doing a lot of assessment we were providing a lot of feedback because we saw people more regularly mm. so we were providing a lot of feedback to their teams oh, okay um, yeah yeah I think I always found that really 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 um just never aligned with my values mm. and I don't think mm. there is a black and white way around it like I don't yeah. agree with the mental health act I don't think anyone should ever be forcibly yeah. Made to do anything, mm. but it's it's like prisons. I think it's like at the moment mm. there aren't enough systems in place that could support mm. those measures being removed. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying because obviously you know there are times when people do really need help. Yeah, and at the moment, I guess we don't so much get help as we get put in the ward twenty seven. Mm. But um, which is the and it does help ward. some people and like it, it does, definitely does yeah. but it also definitely traumatises people more yeah. so. it's so tricky like you know people have so many different experiences mm. and it's depending on and I mean I mean I work with some people who loved um, this is more with Kaupapa Māori services yeah. Yeah. but like being in the Kaupapa Māori services mm. it, you know whether they were there willingly or not was really helpful but I worked with people who would have like an eating disorder like severe eating disorder mm. as well as diabetes oh, okay, and so yeah. the people in charge of their care were mm. a mental health team who worked with yeah. eating disorders and a diabetes team based at the hospital and okay. so the idea of our team was like trying to communicate between these services oh right so okay it's like just like massively complex um situations for people mm. who were really quite yeah, like, I think things just got ended up getting so complicated that it's quite hard to see what people actually need. And sometimes what people actually, or what could benefit people, I think, is, like, a more settled home life. Mm, <laughs> or mm. something super simple, Yeah, you know? No, that's... I, or, like, a yeah. partner, you know? Yeah. Or just, like, a hobby. Mm. <laughs> I know that sounds real dumb, but it's, like... But so often it's not, like, I think that's also the thing with mental health is that it's so pathologised. Yes. That, um, you know, once you are in the mental health system, you know, you're diagnosed with so many different conditions and it's all very like, oh, you know, see the psychiatrist for this, see the psychologist for that. Mm. You know, it's very like... Compartmentalised as well. And it's never like... I I just also remember, you know, when I was in the ward, you know, my parents talking to some of the doctors and the doctors were basically like, we're sending Jess home. And my parents were like, okay, what do we do? What do we need to do? And it's kind of like you, we don't, I guess that's one part of it is that we create, yeah, these teams of people who don't really know the person. I guess that's kind of what I think. And then we don't take advantage of like the people who actually know that person and the simple things or like that your basic needs are being met. Like so many people I work with don't actually have enough to eat. Yes. And I'm like, if you so can't. So often. Yeah. yeah. If you can't yeah. actually afford to eat. 
of course, it's like, and to me, it's like, yeah, obviously then you're going to feel, have many of the symptoms of depression. Yeah. You know, or like, and then obviously if you have a tendency, maybe like neuro, some neurological difference or something, it's going to exacerbate that. And yeah, I guess that sounds quite similar to what. Yeah. It becomes so similar. Well, people who live, mm. like, I worked with one guy for like nine months mm. and he had an intellectual disability as well as a diagnosis of schizophrenia yeah. and he was a lovely guy mm. but like he had a massive cigarette addiction um mm. he was nearly blind wouldn't <laughs> oh my gosh wouldn't though, so like wouldn't had very like little family support um mm. no friends that i ever knew about or mm. saw or, um and all his money went on cigarettes mm. um and he was like, he found joy in music, and he mm. would always have the radio or, like, t- music channels on. That was where he found joy. Mm. But, like, he lived in a council flat, and it was horrendous. Mm. It was just an awful place to live. And I was like... he, But he still managed to find joy in a, in a life that, for all intents and purposes, looked like it was incredibly lacking yeah, yeah. in positive things. And it's... Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just so sad. And it's really, really <laughs> like, sad. Yeah. I just like I just wished that there was a way for him to connect more socially in an, mm. in an easier way. Mm. You know, so hard. Yeah, I guess particularly when you're you know talking about those people who have often you know a lot of different health problems or a mm. lot of so many different challenges. Yeah, and also to me one of the things that I I don't know if you found this, but also like the fact that people have been institutionalized. Yes, it's. You know, how did you see that, you know, like, affecting people's lives? Yeah, well, like, that, like, a lot of the people we worked with who were older, they were mainly mm. older, so, like, 40s plus. Mm. And, like, everyone had trauma. Like, mm. everyone had trauma. So many people had never had psychological input. Mm. And that's the thing, like, younger people I saw, that was the thing that worked for them. In yeah. my experience, that's the thing that worked, like, mm. for me and, and my family, like, what do you mean by psychological input? Oh, so just like counselling. Mm, so just like mm. one or like human, <laughs> human interaction, um, but not psychiatric, not too medical. Like, mm. I mean, I think like psychology and counselling and cognitive behaviour therapy, that stuff like mm. has its limits as well. But I just think it's shown to be so much more effective than literally mm. just medication or just hospitalisation. You know mm. what I mean? Like, of mm. course it is. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's so underfunded, and it's and mm. and in, in, in terms of these older people, so often they just it was too hard. Yeah, I, I say, feel like people who had massive psychosis when mm. they were younger, so it was like it never, no one ever. I don't I don't know I don't know. I'm sure the situations were complex, but they missed out on this stuff. Mm. And I and now you see them, and their mental health is stable, and that their delusions don't cause them to behave in a mm. way that society thinks is too weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, like, they could benefit so much now from mm. support to heal from their really old trauma, you yeah. know? Like, loss yeah. of family members or, like, sexual abuse mm. or, or brain injury mm. or institutionalisation, you mm. know? And there's just, like, so much of what affects people, I reckon, actually is that trauma that they never... I mean, that's my yeah. view because I also think that trauma has a massive effect on mental and physical health and I think it's yeah. all related. But mm. that's... That's something that I believe so strongly and doesn't really match up with the medical model. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's something I always found hard because I, I always believed that there were going to be different ways of 
of helping people which mm. were not really justifiable I suppose they weren't mm. they weren't evidence based they weren't mm. the status quo so I yeah. think it's a big reason why I was like this isn't the right yeah. place for me to be working or the right way to work with people mm. at the moment so so what would you like can you think of an example of a time that you would have liked to do something that was less like evidence based like kind of or less like medicalized, but you weren't like you know what kind of things are you talking about is that like the housing like, yeah kind stuff of like that and oh, like, yeah, is yeah. that support but like it was stuff I couldn't do but I could I could see what what could help people mm, and yeah mm. it was like I wish you could I wish it was easy for this person to go and access counselling yeah. wish it was easy for this person to live somewhere nicer alongside yeah. people like-minded people yeah who mm. I wish it was easier for this person to um go and listen to music you mm, know mm. or um I don't know, just just connection stuff, like so much yeah. social iso- isolation. Yeah. And like, yes, there are supports available with stuff like Vincent's, you know, that does yeah. the art and Salvation Army and like lots of courses, Peer Zone, you know. Yeah. But it's just not always that easy for people to access. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah, I just totally agree that like the isolate, like isolation is one of the biggest. Like I remember ages ago there were those ads that was like the biggest. One of those like sort of uplifting ads about depression. Yeah, it's kind of like the biggest um, barrier to recovery is discrimination. And at the time, I was like, "What are they talking about?" And now I'm like, it's not only discrimination, but like on an individual level, but also the way that we systemically isolate people mm. who have been diagnosed with like mental health problems yeah. or disabilities or whatever. Any kind of disability, eh? and the invisibility yeah. of that. Mm. And yeah, like the amount, you know like where I work in the supported living um and it's like 30 or 40 people they still can't get they can't leave unless they have someone go with them and they're still so isolated it's like and that was that was some of the stuff that made me so excited that I learned at uni like was this my lecturer's papers around citizenship and what Mm, it means to be mm. a citizen and like the rights that we expect all citizens to have is like Mm. access to public services um, Mm. access to community access to housing like Mm. all the stuff that people who have disabilities don't have access to and it's Mm. not always like it's not like oh it's offered to them they can just come and get it it's like Mm. but for a lot of people they can't yeah and they need to be supported to access those things Mm. but services only support them to access the bare minimum you know Mm. not not like the things that actually enrich human life yeah yeah it's like you know if you're lucky you might have access to like three meals a day and a shower yeah second day and it's sort of like what about you know Art like and yeah <laughs> yeah yeah what about like and physical activity yeah, you know or or like you were saying like something that brings you joy like yeah this lady I work with and she loves going like she's a bug and hunter extraordinaire she's <laughs> so like she will find the deals if there's a deal to be found and it's like that is what she loves doing like shopping and she loves makeup as well anyway and like um sort of is like interested in doing beauty therapy type things but it's just that you know, the only thing she really needs is a ride into town. Mm. But it's like, that's too much. Like, she can't... You know, it's so it's so little to mm. ask. It's like, for someone who's been, you know... People who often have been through so much. And it's like, that's all you need to have that, like, like spark in your life. But it's like, still, we're like, oh no. The staff couldn't be bothered taking you today. Or, 
you know, there's only one car for the mm. whole facility. And it's yeah. kind of like, it's really the least we can do considering how these people have been treated, you know, like. Hi there. Like, we used to have stuff like you can't take people to do errands, like if I was taking mm. them to a hospital point, you can't take them to do errands on the way there or back. Mm. Or like you have to have a justification if you're going to give them a lift, even though we're driving to their house to see them. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so I'd always be cheeky, like I had one lady and she'd always want to go to McDonald's on the way I'm, I can't say no, like yeah, one, it's yeah. because I'm a pushover, but two, I'm like, yeah, well, I want McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Sure, of course you want McDonald's. Like, also funny, or like, also did you find, like often, did you find when you were working that there was like an over, like kind of like people living in a fishbowl and everything they do is judged mm. as part of your mental health condition, so it's mm. kind of like, oh, but you have to be healthy, or like you have to... You know, or like with smoking all of the time as well. Yes. It's kind of like, oh, well, people constantly being told they have to quit, they have to quit, they have to quit. People who've smoked all their lives and they're 50 or 60 and it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, you know, maybe they're just a smoker, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Maybe we just need to say like, it's all right, like, let's just, I don't know. But it's just, I think that it's really hard as well because it's such a like, cigarettes are so expensive and people often don't have that much money, so then it often becomes, like, a cigarettes or a food. Or food, yeah. Like, kind of situation, it's like... But it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think the cigarette thing is so over... It's, like, criminalised yeah. unnecessarily mm. just because, for some reason, mm. someone's decided that it's okay to criminalise yeah. it, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's weird. And also, like, you know, if someone... Like, I feel like if I have a cigarette every once in a while no one makes a big deal about it because I'm young and white and able-bodied and so it's kind of like oh you know it's my choice you know even if there is still a stigma associated but then it's people who are genuinely like addicted and probably you know like get more benefit out of smoking than I do for the relief from their like um, withdrawal symptoms and stuff it's like seen as like oh that's because you know you have been diagnosed with like a low IQ and you're not capable of having self-control and I'm like you know what it's just a cigarette yeah, <laughs> like, it's okay yeah. like there are bigger problems in the world there's more bad stuff going on you know yeah. yeah I always felt a massive amount of guilt in terms of the client nurse relationship mm. like I think that that power dynamic always mm. sat poorly with me always I don't know how people manage that and they do like, mm. some people love nursing. Mm. <laughs> and I just, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the work I've done has been mostly peer support based. So the idea is that we share our stories as well and try and make ourselves vulnerable and try to decrease that kind of power imbalance. But do you think that it's inherent in being a nurse? Or do you think that it could be reduced if you were allowed to break down those like because I think a lot of the mm. time for me as a carer it's like being a professionalism yeah can be very limiting and it kind of puts a huge barrier between you and the person like yeah you know you're not allowed to share food or yeah like you know those things those that kind of things yeah bring bring you together and make it feel like you're in this you're working with someone rather than treating them as a patient you mm. know mm. kind of do you think that it could be made better or do you think it's sort of inherent maybe I guess because some of the people you're working with have such a different life background to you and I don't know. That's a question I've often had is like who can we support? Because mm. I've found like 
when there's such massive life experience differences like you can be compassionate but you can't necessarily support in the same way or I Mm. can't support in the same way that someone who had had more similar life experience could you know Mm. I think that's where peer support can be great because there's Mm. the more people who are trained in it the more there are people to match everyone yeah Um, yeah not necessarily match but you know like there are there are things that I just couldn't understand about the life of a 50 year old woman Mm. you know totally um, yeah yet and I had a lot of clients comment on my age and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, fair enough, there's heaps of shit I don't know. And yeah, who am yeah. I to tell you mm. any of this? So I learned heaps from my from the people I worked with in that respect, mm. you know, a lot about life and stuff. But yeah, yeah, there was a lot around, like, I think I felt like I couldn't be human when I was nursing, but mm. I think, and I think a lot of that was to do with my, my um, paranoia, like I have, mm. in terms of, like, depression and anxiety, when at its worst, I have, like, paranoid kind of, like, verging on psychosis I've had at my mm. worst points. Um, so I think that a lot of that, for me, was triggered by nursing, just in terms of the responsibility being so massive. And, like, mm. it was constantly drilled into us, you know, you are legally responsible for everything you do. You're yeah. legally responsible for people's lives. Like, if a doctor prescribes a drug wrong on a drug chart, which mm. often happens... And the nurse hasn't checked it thoroughly enough and the nurse gives that drug, it's the nurse who's liable, mm. not the doctor. Mm. So there's stuff like that, like like medication errors. It's like you could kill someone yeah. every shift and it's like that stuff I think just, it just doesn't work for my personality. Mm. Um, mm. I'm very sensitive and like I'm an overthinker. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not someone who likes to be in charge of other people. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a, a definitely a personality thing that and I, and because I felt like I had to be professional I felt like I was being judged I felt like I couldn't share that stuff around yeah. my own failures I was mm. still coming to terms with my own mm. um mental health experiences and I felt like a failure I felt like mm. a crazy person I think mm. and I and mm. um, like that's still something that sits with me but like the more I've failed and the more I've like since leaving nursing I feel so much better about it yeah so I'm like I don't have to pretend to be someone who has their shit together yeah yeah because no one's relying on me to do that um Mm. so that's been a big relief so I think it is just like how maybe it plays into your narratives around yourself and for me it wasn't very positive (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely but I mean I think also like those things you're saying like being an overthinker or being someone who thinks through every aspect of what you're doing Mm. and being someone who's really sensitive and really empathetic and wants to let people live their own lives yeah those are also really good qualities potentially mm, mm. in a nurse like I think yeah those are things that even though obviously it made it really hard for you and mm. I'm not saying that you know you should have to you know you know suck it up and keep going or whatever yeah like obviously but um I also think that you know if we had a health system that was put less pressure on you know one person to do the job that you know 10 people could be doing yeah then we could take advantage of people with those qualities and use them you know to be from talking to people who've worked in more clinical settings as well just the fact that you know when once they start to get to know people in the team they realize everyone has lived experience of mental health yeah yeah but no one talks about it and you hide it and it's like oh man it's so like and there was this weird disconnect, like, when I was working in the, the you know, the, the places that offered peer services as well as my clinical role. Mm. It was like, if you were in the clinical role, you weren't really allowed to admit that you mm. had lived experience. Mm. But if you were in the non-clinical roles, the reason often you were there was because you yeah. had lived experience. Yeah, so it was yeah. like this complete hypocrisy. Like, yeah. 
and and yeah and i think it's because oh, yeah. it's new the whole peer support mm. stuff is mm. still i mean i don't know it's been around for like 20 or 30 years but it's still <laughs> new. yeah <laughs> to, yeah change takes a long time and like yeah you know like i mean i only did first year psychology so like i don't it's just like 101 kind of thing but <laughs> In first year psychology, we had a different lecture every two weeks, mm. and not one of them talked about having their own them, themselves experiencing any kind of mental health, mm. good mental health, bad mental health. Like, no one. It's all like you know the subject or the participant or whatever you want to call them, but it's still like that total divide. Mm, scientific, and to be honest, it's the patriarchy, and to be mm. honest, it's colonization. You know, yeah. it's all those systems that are. I hope and I. I feel like they're fading, mm. but it's um, yeah, it's not quite the time yet, mm. and that's cool. Like I'm quite happy now to not be working in those systems and be like, "That's cool. I can do me. Yeah. I can build myself up, mm. and I still hold those beliefs that are like I still I can maintain my integrity more now. Yeah. Than whereas before, I felt like I was masquerading as something else. For me, it's kind of feels maybe a bit similar of when I was working in rest homes and. Mm. The reason that I stayed in the jobs I did for so long is because I couldn't stand, like, I knew that I couldn't stay there long term, mm. but I just couldn't bear the thought of, like, leaving the people there yep. who I knew were going to still mm. be, you know, locked in those dementia units kind of thing. Yeah. And mm. it's sort of like, it's sort of now really nice to be, and I can see that I had to leave to be you know, find the work that I'm doing now, which I really love and I think is a lot more positive yeah. and is actually creating a lot more positive change. But at the same time, you know, it's just so hard to, you just feel like, because you, when you've been in a position where you feel like you are so responsible for those people and then to have to step back from it and not know what the ne- other next person's going to be like, if mm-hmm. they're going to care or if they're just going to be not that great. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I hope so. I hope that things are changing. I've yeah. got friends who, um, I don't know if you've heard of or worked with Collaborate at all. No. There's some friends of mine who have started up this business and it's kind of around wellness and stuff. Cool. One of the things they're doing is um, first aid, mental health first aid courses and they're marketed oh. at corporate organisations. Really cool. I think I have seen that actually, the first aid. It's yeah, so really, really cool. good. And I'm like, <laughs> that is a shift, you know, mm. and they're really clever marketing it <laughs> at government agencies and stuff because yeah. it's, it's it's hot now. Mm, it's, mm. it's you know like people are starting to actually in a corporate way have to think about wellness as a broader yeah. thing, you know. And and I think also tides are changing. Yeah, and I think also anything that takes mental health out of you know a real clinical setting is good. Yeah. Like and makes it normal. And yeah, seems like in yeah. your workplace there will be people who experience poor mental health at certain times. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, <laughs> you might even have someone who doesn't touch a psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> Out and, and it's yeah and makes me a bit sad when we have to be like because it improves like um productivity and yes, stuff. yes i'm like i don't like it. capitalism but, but also it's better it's it's maybe like a step away from we have to fix these people because they're broken and sick yeah, like yeah. <laughs> which is maybe the only alternative one of the you know alternatives that like our health system the health system kind of has. I know. So, oh. yeah. And, I mean, there's lots of really cool stuff. I think that in New Zealand we're really lucky that we have, you know, Indigenous people who have such, like, an amazing history of 
really good responses to mental health yes, yeah. challenges and, and amazingly holistic health models mm, you know mm. like we are the fact that we are like trying to be bicultural <laughs> now and how in the health system yeah. and drawing on Māori models is going to be such a bloody benefit to the mm, health system because mm. those there's the, just the like basis of holistic health mm. in indigenous cultures is so it just works seamless. It yeah. works. Like, it works. It's really effective. Like, <laughs> and yeah. it makes sense, you know? We were talking, I was, I think it was a talk by this um, social worker who's a voice hearer and sees her ancestors. And she works at, um, and she, and she was just amazing. She so was amazing. Sharing, kind of sharing her story with us. And she works in early childcare as well. And she yep. works with kids who also see, you know, like their nans or whoever it is they see or like hear things and she's kind of like a mentor to them helping them learn about healthy ways to live with that and how to use it as a positive way of people to connect with the tipuna rather than as a you know like pathologized like there's something wrong with you like and I just think that's so cool and I'm so happy that you know those kids are getting that amazing you know mentoring and like you know peer support from someone who's like 40 years older than them yeah (laughs) but still and I think that knowledge you know we really need to try and like realize how important that Maori knowledge is and how we as you know Europeans have eroded that for so long yeah and that we need to you know be part of trying to like treasure that like this is what the future needs to be that's where we need to go and it's like that that some people are voice hearers and that's mm. it's like just some people are gay yeah like, yeah <laughs> they may not be like it may be a minority yeah yeah <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's bad yeah like, it's like just it's different like <laughs> honestly like it's not a disease <laughs> when I, yeah honestly too, when i realized that it was such because i'm not a voice hearer and i never experienced psychosis or anything but i'm just like when i i remember i saw a talk i think it was like not to be like this is so like really like white liberal but like a TED talk about it yeah and I was just like it was just like it just clicked for me and I was like get over it people are talking to someone who you can't see deal with it get over it it's like (laughs) you know like that's that's what made me stay in mental health and what drew Mm. me to it for so long was there's actually that stuff is so exciting and so inspiring Mm. to me Mm. like the people who go around trying to change perspectives around Mm. mental health Mm. and who embrace their own eccentricity and diversity yeah as one of the most like some of those talks have been the most transformative things I've yeah. ever experienced, and yeah. it's so exciting and it's so brave. It's like so brave. I remember, yeah, one of this guy I work with who's a voice hearer, and we sat down and I show I showed him this lady from, and um like a talk just online. He, it was just amazing to be able to like even though obviously I'm sort of just like a messenger kind of sharing it, but just to be like there's this whole community of people ex- like you who exist. Mm, yeah who are proud of themselves and unashamed and it's just like it was such a like such a great moment just to be be able to share that and just be like yeah to see that kind of shift happening in people and it really yeah it does it is what makes you want to stay it's like you know despite all the bad stuff it's Mm -hmm. like it is so cool to introduce people to that yeah self-acceptance and seeing it in other people and that complete so shift in perspective eh, of like mm. this is this can be part of your identity and it can be empowering in the yeah. same way that like being queer 50 years yeah. ago was a disease and That's now so is true. empowering I never thought about that like 
similarity. There's a great TED talk actually yeah. that I should try and find for you. Someone Solomon, and he he researches he researched because he had terrible lived experience, like massively suicidal for a long time, and he researched it across cultures. Like he he interviewed the family of one of the kids who did one of the mass shootings in America and stuff like that. Mm. Like he's just done he's talked to so many amazing people about neurodiversity and Mm. mental health and disability and how and queerness Mm. and how like perspectives need to shift and Mm. have shifted around stuff like being gay and like it's actually there's a lot of similarities you can draw around the way disability is viewed and that it's literally just a different way of existing yeah yeah it's just it's amazing when you have those like realizations I feel like after you have that kind of paradigm shift it becomes so much easier to work with people and see what actually needs to change you know to be like this person there's nothing inherently wrong with you mm. you just need you know somewhere to go during the day and something yeah. fun you know something fun to do or someone to come and say hi to you and like hang yeah. out and have a drink or something yeah like yeah it becomes so much easier to see that 